0: Welcome to our podcast series, Getting to the Core Issues. Hello, I'm Joanne Boata. And I'm Marianne Harmston. Each segment, we will interview healthcare innovators whose models will help transform the healthcare delivery system and provide solutions to the healthcare puzzle. Our guest for this segment is Deb Hurwitz, the Executive Director of the Care Transformation Collaborative. The Care Transformation Collaborative of Rhode Island's mission is to lead the transformation of primary care in Rhode Island in the context of an integrated healthcare system and to improve the quality of care, the patient experience of care, the affordability of care, and the health of the populations they serve. Deb, you're clearly passionate about primary care, the primary care transformation. What drives you and why did you get involved in this work?
1: Well, to understand my passion about this work, I I guess I can share my journey. I'm a nurse by training and soon after graduation and working in the real world coordinating care for my patients, I quickly learned firsthand how fragmented our healthcare delivery system really is and that patients needed someone to help them coordinate and navigate the system to get the care that they needed. Several years later, uh, I decided to go back to graduate school and I had to make a decision. Do I continue on in sort of a clinical vein or do I look at um, adding a business degree to my sort of credentials? And at that point in time, I decided to go for a business administration degree so I could focus my efforts on system change. And I believed that in our ideal system, patients shouldn't need a nurse care manager to get them through from one point to another and get the care that they need. So I used to say my goal was to work myself out of a job. (laughs) Um, But uh, you know, unfortunately, (laughs) the challenges remain. And today, our healthcare delivery system is even more difficult and complex for patients and families to navigate. My journey also took me to um, work you know, within state health policy. And I had the opportunity to work on a number of statewide health system change initiatives. And so with all of that kind of background, um, I am really thrilled to be involved with the Care Transformation Collaborative of Rhode Island. It brings together in real time and in a concrete way, all the aspects of patient care and system transformation that I'm passionate about.
2: Hi Deb, this is Mary Ann Harmson. Certainly with your background, both at Stanford University, as well as the work that you did at UMass Medical School, you, you, you have comparative different areas of the country, as well as different systems that you've worked within. I don't think many many people realize, but Rhode Island can be a leader nationally in its focus in primary care as a strategy to improve access to high-quality, affordable health care. That's something that you've been working on, including some of the work that you're doing in the health equity zones.
1: Rhode Island is a leader nationally in its focus on primary care as a strategy to improve access to high-quality, affordable health care. Rhode Island's one of the only states in the country to have a health insurance commissioner. And 10 years ago, the health insurance commissioner then Chris Kohler, convened a group of health plans and primary care providers to find a way to improve the health quality and affordability that's delivered in Rhode Island. They looked at other countries that had better health outcomes and lower costs of care and discovered that here in the United States, we spend far less on primary care and more on hospitals and specialists. So our system is kind of upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2010, Our primary care spend, which is what we call it, our primary care spend was 4.5% of the total commercial medical spend. Primary care practices were under a fee-for-service payment system that requires the docs to see a patient almost every 10 to 15 minutes to make ends meet primary care providers referred to this as running on the hamster wheel, and the situation was really unsustainable. So at that time, the commissioner asked the health plans to increase primary care spend by 1% a year over four years, and today our primary care spend is at 11%, and health care costs have decreased by 14%, and other states are following suit. Some have set a target of 12%. So this is now becoming a direction that I think folks are moving in.
0: And just so our listeners are clear, because the way that that sounds to me is it sounds like they've added more cost But really what is happening, I believe, is because you're spending more money on primary care that there's less need for the specialty care and hospitalizations because focusing on primary care keeps people out of the emergency room, keeps them out of the hospital. Is that what's happening here? That's basically what's happening is that by increasing access to a
1: robust primary care delivery system and helping patients better understand their access to care, that we reduce emergency room visits, unnecessary hospitalizations, etc. So that really is the driver. Hospital costs
2: are the big driver. We know from previous people, experts that we've spoken to in the healthcare field, that clearly certain countries Such as Australia or Singapore, they're spending 4,000 or 4,600 a person compared to our average of over Mm 9,000. Now, what percentage of that is actually on primary care? One of the things that you said, Deb, was that from all of what we've just spoken about, you said from from this came what is now called the Care Transformation Consolidation of Rhode Island. So maybe you want to speak a little bit about that.
1: One other point on your point of what other countries are spending, the strategy that Rhode Island has taken is, let's agree that it's the primary care spend was low, let's try to increase it, and then let's monitor it over time and see how it, how it changes impact the system. As mm-hmm. our delivery system is different than any other country's delivery system, and even within the country, right. you know, there's a lot of variability.
0: Absolutely. So the strategy,
1: at least initially, wasn't to hit a target of another country, but was to start moving it up, that we increase it a little bit and keep monitoring and measuring and looking at all the aspects of care delivery quality and costs and affordability that we could try to dial in on the right number. And I think that's really where we're at. I don't think anybody really
2: knows what the right number is. It would depend on the area. You know, like we're talking international statistics, but even nationally, it so much depends on the region, the particular state. Uh, The cost varies so much from place to place. As part of what you were doing then, you became the only multi-payer healthcare transformation initiative in the state. And one of the first in the nation. And you were focused on delivering high value care under a patient-centered medical home model of care. Your mission is to improve health for all Rhode Islanders through a strong primary care foundation. Now we we hear a lot about patient-centered medical homes. Maybe you can describe really what this advanced practice is. Patient-centered medical home
1: is a confusing term. A lot of people are confused by it and think of it more as home care, but really we refer to it as advanced primary care. Patient-centered medical homes are our pediatric, internal medicine, family medicine practices that are functioning at a very high level. Uh, they have the capacity to deliver expanded access, an array of services, and there's a big emphasis on care coordination. So no longer is the primary care provider working alone. There's a, a team of healthcare providers that are working working with them Mm -hmm. and they include nurse care managers, pharmacists, social workers, they're all there to help deliver high-value evidence-based care to patients that spans the the continuum from prevention all the way to care coordination for patients with chronic illness and other patients that are at
2: high risk. One of the things that you incorporated was bringing behavioral health clinicians onto the care team to offer improved access and provide more holistic care. We were interested in some of the statistics that were sent over by your office Office, and we were a little bit confused, or were looking for an elaboration on the difference between current care transformation collaborative participants such as Providence Community Health Centers, North Kingston Family Practice, and you had an asterisk which showed maybe five or six of them, which I think are pilot programs for integrating behavioral health. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we get deeper into that, then you have the children's practices. You have a block of, of identifying current PCMH kids' practices. And then you had graduated CTC practices. Yeah, What's so, the
0: difference between
1: the two? Let me just back up a little bit and give you um, sort of a summary here of the Care Transformation Collaborative's work over time. The Care Transformation began in 2008 with five primary care practices. And today, through a series of expansions, we've had more than 100 practices come through CTC to go through this transformation initiative. We have over 750 providers, adult and pediatric, who have come through the program. And they they take care of 650,000 Rhode Islanders. So two-thirds of the state are accessing care, primary care in a patient-centered medical home, which is an advanced primary care setting. Mm -hmm. So we're really proud of that. And the way that we do that work is that when a practice enrolls in CTC, they commit to a period of time. So right now it's a three-year agreement and they're in the program for three years. They do arrangements with the health plans so that they're receiving supplemental payments from the health plans to do this infrastructure development and also to hit the performance outcomes. So over a three-year period, we have people come in, we go through this work um, where actually CTC provides practice facilitation where we go into the primary care practice and work with the staff on making these transformational changes. That's why we refer to graduates. So after three or four years, they've finished their work, they've moved on, and they're you know now seemingly getting involved with systems of care. They'll have new practices coming in, and we're going to be doing an expansion in January for another. Their cohort of pediatric practices we're really really excited about
2: about that as well it appears that in the years that you've been involved with this program you've been able to access and invigorate more than two-thirds of the participants in the healthcare system especially in primary care which is an enormous achievement it's really outstanding
1: One of the goals that we set as CTC and that the state has sort of added to is that we would, and this is kind of now stating it as the the state goal, is that we'd like to see 80% of all Rhode Islanders accessing their care in a patient-centered medical home. And so the work of CTC has set the foundation for that. We've brought in 750 providers and and whatnot and growing. There's also been some providers who are going through this transformation work outside of CTC, either in their system of care or they're connected to others that are connected to us. And so they've taken the the model back out to their larger group of practices. So statewide, we believe we're about at 70% and our
2: goal is 80% by 2019. So we're closing in on that, Mark. That's really great. That is also impacted perhaps by the reimbursement methodology that you're using? You mentioned uh,
1: how is it that we've been able to engage practices in this work, because it's not easy work. The benefits of becoming a part of CTC is that the practices agree to certain transformational work that they're going to do, but they receive supplemental payments from the health plans, and that's part of that primary care spend I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. That's some of the investment in primary care to help them make these transformational changes. There's a lot of work in making changes to the electronic health record, for example, so Mm -hmm. That you can actually track your panels of patients and the population health of those patients. Bringing on nurse care managers, that's a requirement that we have as part of CTC, that there's a, a clinical nurse care manager or care coordinator in the practice. So, so there's, there's funding for infrastructure development, and then there's funding for incentives for performance, and there's measures that the practices are held to for quality, for patient satisfaction, and for ED utilization, emergency department utilization, and inpatient hospital utilization. So those are the measures that the practices are working towards, and there's incentives, incentives tied to that. And that's how we've been able to, I think, one, facilitate change, and also to prepare practices to, to work in a value-based system versus a FIFA service system. Yeah. In our state now, in Rhode Island, when a practice has completed a transformation program like CTC, they have received their NCQA recognition and they've been approved, essentially sort of certified by the Office of the Health Insurance Commissioner as having met all of the criteria. They're entitled to sustainability payments, which helps sustain the infrastructure of wow. the nurse care manager. So that either comes directly
2: to them through the health plan or through their system of care contracts? I'm so curious because you have a few major players in Rhode Island without being specific in terms of their names. How do you in terms of the additional fees that are willing to pay for better outcomes, is there a is there a um, an equation that they are all using? Are some using more? Is it standardized in terms of what they do for the different performance metrics? Because it's a collaborative and because it's convened
1: by the Office of the Health Insurance Commissioner, we have the ability under the auspices of the Health Insurance Commissioner to have a discussion to set agreed upon deliverables, targets, incentives, and payments. So for another benefit for practices in CTC is it's consistent. Here's what you have to do to meet the targets, the benchmarks, the objectives, and here's what you're going to get paid on a member per month basis and it's for all patients in your practice and you move forward so it's not so chaotic and schizophrenic really for the practice to try to deliver to every single health plan individually it's it's, it's, it's a it's a program that everybody agreed if we can do this we're going to be doing good
0: a question that i have it's a pmpm per patient it's the same pmpm per patient how is it that they if you have a patient who has a lot of comorbidities is That adjusted in any way, or is it because some may have less comorbidities and it's offsetting it so that the provider can, you know, continue to practice and not lose money?
1: In our CTC model, which is really sort of the initial step, it's not risk adjusted. It's PMPM that we negotiated over time to sort of say, this seems like the number that actually allows us to do the work that needs to be done. Being able to hire and retain a nurse care manager, being able to do the quality improvement work, being able to make the changes in the electronic record, etc. So it started out at one number, it rose to another number, um, which I think everybody was generally satisfied that it was it was working. It wasn't risk adjusted in that sense. What happens when practices graduate from CTC, they then obviously are, you know, on their own, and they go back out into the marketplace and they make their own decisions about how they want to practice. Many of them are moving into what I'm calling systems of care. So we have Lifespan as a system of care. Care New England is a system of care. And their accountable care organizations are being created. So providers are joining these different organizations and those organizations have different contracts with health plans. And then the funding flows through the larger organization to primary care. And so those those are all individually negotiated.
0: It sounds like the PMPM model, once they get out of your system, they're out on their own and they could go back to fee-for-service again. So how is that really keeping that continuity of not only meeting your outcomes and performance, but also helping to address that affordability issue? And I imagine with a PMPM fee that it really simplifies the billing process.
1: You're right on the mark in terms of where we're going, which is a PMPM that's a more global Mm -hmm. per member per month. The way it's structured now, and this isn't just in Rhode Island, it's kind of across the board. The first step to getting off of FIFA service has been this addition of a supplemental payment that's under a PMPM. So below that is still FIFA service. That's still going as folks move on to systems of care and the contracts start to change from fee-for-service to accountable care organizations, Mm -hmm. now we're starting to see more change towards alternative payment models. And Office of the Health Insurance Commissioner is driving that change as well. There's a significant effort underway right now to define and pilot and implement an alternative payment model for primary care and primary care with integrated behavioral health. So those are on the docket to be implemented. This is was sort of the first step and kind of how can we get from FIFA service to full capital? No, tape. I think
0: it's great. Uh, yeah. it's, a, it's,
2: a, it's a journey. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's not easy either.
2: You've certainly been an incredible guest, Deb. We compliment you on all of the work that you're doing. And I'm thrilled that the state of Rhode Island can benefit by your expertise and your enthusiasm and talent. Thank you for
0: joining us, Deb. And we look forward to having you back in the future. Visit our website at astreamkey.com Don't forget to share our podcast with your family and friends. Thank
2: you for listening to Getting to the Core Issues, where we bring you solutions for solving the
0: healthcare puzzle.